Welcome to this message from Eastwood Baptist Church, one church with two locations in Bowling Green and Alberton, Kentucky. To learn more, visit eastwoodbc.org. Now, may the Lord bless you in the hearing of His Holy Word. Amen. As you grab your seat, grab your copy of God's Word. Go with me to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew 22. You know, one of our founding fathers of our nation, Benjamin Franklin, in a 1789 letter to a friend, spoke about this newly ratified United States Constitution. And here's what he said about it. He said, our new Constitution is now established and has an appearance that promises permanency. But then he famously added these words that you and I know so well. But in this world, he said, nothing can be certain except what? Death and taxes. Ah, yeah. The dreaded death and taxes, right? Two things that people try to avoid at all costs. In fact, some people might try harder to avoid taxes than they do death even, right? And it's easy to understand why. The humorist Will Rogers, he once explained this. He said, the only difference between death and taxes is that death doesn't get worse every time Congress meets. April 15th, man, that, that typical American deadline for, to file your taxes, man, it is, a, it is a despised day. I never see anybody as I go to file my taxes with a big old smile and happy about it, unless maybe they got back a decent return. But nevertheless, you're not happy about having to pay taxes. But April 15th is a necessary day. As much as we despise taxes, right, we enjoy uh, most of what the taxes are used for. That's why uh, a retired Supreme Court justice... Uh, Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr., he once said this. He said, I like to pay taxes. With them, I buy civilization. And just to make sure that you and I don't forget that, the IRS has enshrined on the outside of the building these words. It says, it's a, it's a, it, it's a, it's a version of, 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 of Holmes's um, quote. He said this, or it says on the building, taxes are what pay for a civilized society, or taxes are what we pay for a civilized society. And so we like our military, we, we like our schools, we like our roads, and so many other things that the government provides for us through our tax dollars. But let's be honest, we still don't like paying taxes. We don't, man, and that's nothing new. You see, both taxes uh, and tax loathing have been around long, a long, long time, right? It was uh, very much alive in Jesus' day. Jesus, of course, he lived in Israel, but Israel was not an independent nation at that time. Around 600 years before Christ, Israel was conquered by the Babylonians, and as empires rose and fell, the ownership of Israel switched hands several times. And so from the Babylonians, Israel went to the Medo-Persians, and from the Medo-Persians to the Greeks, and from the Greeks to the Romans. Therefore, in Jesus' day, Israel was a vassal state for the Roman Empire. It had a king whose name was Caesar. That's what they called their king. Whoever the king was, they called him Caesar. And with Roman occupation came the levying of Roman taxes. And the Jews despised it. Despised it. If you think you hate paying taxes, the Jews double hated paying Roman taxes. Not only was it a constant reminder that they were not a free state, but Rome recruited Jews to collect taxes from the Jews. 
Right? So it was almost a, a, a jab even in that, that their fellow countrymen were the ones who were taking these taxes from them. It was seen as a traitorous job to be a tax collector. In fact, the leaders and the Jews of Jesus' day, they were appalled that he would dare minister to and eat with and even called a tax collector to be one of his disciples and an apostle, right? Tax and tax collectors in Jewish society, they were to be avoided at all costs. And so it is in this context that the religious leaders of Jesus' day, the Pharisees, they hoped to finally get rid of Jesus. So they decided to set a trap for him using the topic of taxes. And man, these dudes, they, they loved to set traps. I, I know I mentioned Wiley Coyote last week. I'm going to mention him again, right? It's just a Wiley Coyote kind of month. I mean, these guys love to set traps more than Wiley Coyote. You know what I'm talking about? They were everywhere trying to trap Jesus. Our text here in Matthew 22 tells us how it all went down. First, they planned the trap. Look at Matthew 22:15 here in our text today. Matthew 22:15. it says, the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. They were looking to him to get Jesus to slip up, to say some verbal faux pas that they could then take and use against him. Next, they buttered Jesus up. They hoped that he would put his guard down, that he might speak frankly, not guard his words, so that he again would say something that they could use against him. Look at Matthew twenty-two sixteen. Matthew twenty-two sixteen, And they sent their disciples, this is the Pharisees' disciples, to Jesus, along with the Herodians. Now, the Herodians were a, a group of people who were loyal to Rome. Now, the Pharisees weren't, man. I mean, they were nationalistic, patriotic Jewish men. Okay, they wanted to see Israel free, but the Herodians, they were happily Roman vassals. Okay, and so they teamed up with these guys. They weren't normally teams, but they teamed up for this. And here's what they said, teacher. We know that you are true, and the way of God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearance. You can just imagine them buttering up flowery words, and smiling, and eyes looking, and closing, and all those things that they might do to help Jesus, or to try to trick Jesus into letting his guard down, and then they spring the trap. Look at verse 17. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, just so you're clear here, they're not talking about Roman law. Of course it was, it was, it was fine. It was lawful to pay taxes to Caesar according to Roman law. They were asking about Jewish law, about biblical law. Will the Bible allow us, Jesus, to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And I just can imagine the ones who weren't right there with Jesus, but the ones who were back watching. I can just imagine and hear them sniggering and, and, and high-fiving each other, thinking, we finally got him. We finally got him. We've got him. If he says yes, then the Jews that are beginning to follow him, they'll turn away from him because they hate paying taxes. And so if he says, pay your taxes, then they'll say, we want nothing to do with that, Jesus. But if he says no, we've got him even better. Because if he says no, then we've got the Herodians right here who will run straight to the Roman authorities and will believe, and the authorities will, will believe the Herodians will turn him over to the Roman authorities to be charged as a rebel. Now, Jesus, of course, 
he saw their trap for what it was. And he immediately called them out. Look at verse 18. Matthew twenty two eighteen. But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? And then Jesus blew their trap wide up and out and open <laughs> with these words. I'll get the right preposition in a minute. <laughs> Let's stand together for the reading of the Word of God this morning, all right? We're continuing our series, Radical, The Hard Sayings of Jesus. And what we're about to hear is a hard saying, especially, especially hard for Jesus' audience who heard it there. Look at verse 19 through 22. The Word of God says this. Verse 19, Jesus says, Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard it, they marveled, and they left him, and they went away. Let's pray together. God, help us today to see your text. We want to have a biblical worldview, Father. We want to think how you think, how your scripture teaches us to think, how you have declared for us to believe. And so we pray today would be that. Today would be a worldview-shaping Sunday that we might see citizenship and taxes and all those things that are a necessary part of society. Help us to see them the way you see them. It's in Jesus' name we give thanks. And all God's people said, amen. Grab your seat back there. So friends, did you hear the hard saying that was in there? It was right there in verse 21, Matthew 22, 21. He said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God. Now, as you and I read that, man, we think, look, Jesus would have only said, render to Caesar nothing. That would have been great, right? That would have been so much better. In fact, there was a really popular rallying cry in Israel that had been circulating for a few decades during Jesus' lifetime that basically said, we have no king but God. Now, does that sound familiar? To us as Americans, that should sound really familiar because that same basic rallying cry as we fast forward to the 1700s here in America was used to rally the American independence from England, right? The motto was, no king but Jesus is what they said. But Jesus here, speaking to this sort of thought throughout the ages, makes clear that there's not just one sphere of authority. It's not just God, and it's not just government. It's God and government, or as one ancient Latin motto states, pro eris et facis, which means for God and country. That's the motto of the American Legion even when it was founded in 1919. So there is this double allegiance that you and I are a part of, right? We have allegiance to God and we have allegiance to country. Jesus said to give to the government what is owed to the government, but also give to God what is owed to God. So there are two spheres of authority here. And when we have two spheres of authority, guess what happens? Tension inevitably happens when there are two spheres of authority. Oftentimes, the two authorities, they pull in the same direction, don't they? 
But there are times when they begin to pull in opposite directions or they begin to deviate just a little bit. So basically, Jesus calls us to think deeply here. So that's what you got to do. You got to put on your thinking caps this morning. You got to put on your thinking caps. What does this mean as I look here? He doesn't give us all the details. Jesus simply gives us the principle here. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God. And you and I, church, we have to think to figure out, based upon the word of God, we have to think how all of that shakes out. Here's today's task. Today's task is to answer this question. How do I navigate the tension between my duties to God and my duties to government? That's, that's the, the, the task this morning. We're going to answer that question. It's a very basic question, but a very important question. I want to point you to three actions today that's going to help you navigate the tension between your duties to God and, and country. First is do this. Be exemplary in obeying God and government. Be exemplary in obeying God and government. You see, Jesus is basically here calling us to be obedient to both God and government, not just to God, which makes sense to us, right? We want to be obedient to God as Christians, but also to the government, even to the laws that you think are stupid, even to the laws that you think are too low. I know it's 65 miles per hour out there on Scottsville Road, and I know that my Silverado has a hard time staying underneath 65 miles an hour. i got to blame it on the truck. It can't be my fault. It's that big old 5.3 liter engine in there, right? It's got to be the truck's fault. But guys, again, we need to be exemplary in every aspect. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. In other words, church, you and I need to do what the government tells us to do. Now, of course, that commandment does not apply to every situation, as we're going to see in a moment, but as a general rule. Whatever the government asks us to do, we should do it. As I look across this room here, the people that I see in this room should be the best citizens in Bowling Green, Kentucky, USA. You know what I'm talking about? Right? You should be exemplary. You should be exceptional. You should be excellent because you're a Christian. And while paying income taxes, it might not be the happiest moment of your year, we should be exemplary in doing it. Now, don't hear me say this morning that you should pay more than what you owe to the government. Jesus never said that. He never said, give more to Caesar than what you owe to Caesar. He didn't say that, praise God, right? He did say, but whatever you owe to Caesar, give it to him. So whatever you owe to the government, give that to it. I want you to take a look at this coin here on the screen as Caleb pulls up this coin for us. Whose picture is that? George Washington, that's right. And he represents what? The United States of America, doesn't he? Right? Remember Jesus took that denarius and he said, whose picture is on that coin? And of course it was Caesar's at that time. And we look at this here and we look on that and we say, there is George Washington, the first president of the United States of America, the first uh, the, the general that, that helped win the War of Independence, the Revolutionary War. And he, uh, he represents the, the, 
the executive branch of, of, of America, right? But what's on the back? Whose seal is on the back of that coin? Whose seal is that? An eagle, and that's the, that's the bird of, of what country? America. That's right. Man, the kids are into it this morning, man. We get into U.S. history here, and they're all of a sudden loving it, right? Civics class right here. But guys, seriously, look at that for just a moment. America's face is on the front of it. America's seal is on the back of it, basically. Representing America, both George Washington and that eagle there. So I say to you this morning, render to the United States of America what is the United States of America's. Let's be honest, though. It is a real temptation to be dishonest when it comes to tax time. Serious temptation, man. I've been there. Turbo tax and everything, man. It's like you're there. You don't even have an accountant. And you're like, I think I can do this, right? It's a real temptation. In fact, in their book, Freakonomics, Stephen Levitt and uh, Stephen, uh, 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 Stephen Dubner, they explain how this simple change to a U.S. tax law in 1987, how it exposed the depth of our willingness to cheat on our taxes. Okay, They said in the book that back in the 1980s, an IRS research officer in Washington named John Slagy had seen enough random audits to know that some taxpayers were incorrectly claiming dependents for the sake of exemption. You've never been tempted to do that, I know, okay? But you see, the more dependents you have, as you well know, the less tax money you owe. Now sometimes, he said, you know, it, it was a genuine mistake. Like a, a divorced wife and husband would, would basically duplicate claims on the same children. Both were claiming the same child. The child was being claimed twice. But sometimes the, the claims were, were comically fraudulent. For instance, one taxpayer on her return listed her dependent's name as Fluffy. <laughs> now, if you list Fluffy on, uh, on your tax returns as a dependent, you might be a tax cheat. That's all i got to say, right? And so, to clean up the deception, Slaggy recommended that the IRS require taxpayers to list their children's Social Security numbers. Yeah, there was a time when you didn't have to do that, right? That's just commonplace for us now. But a few years later, in 1987, the IRS finally put his idea into practice. And amazingly, in the first year, listen to these numbers. In the first year, 7 million dependents suddenly vanished from the IRS tax rolls. <laughs> 7 million dependents vanished. And nearly 3 billion more dollars in revenues came in to the IRS in that year alone. So I just wonder, before 1987, how many Christians do you think listed Fluffy or Fido as, as, as dependents on their taxes or, or even made up children? Who knows, right? But the temptation was real. But there are temptations today, even though we have to put our social security number next to our children's name, our dependents' names, there's still temptations for us. And so I say to you, beloved, be exemplary. Be exemplary in obeying not only God, but also the government. Which brings me to the second action that will help you and me navigate this tension between our duties to God and to country, and it's this, is to realize the connection, the connection between God and government, okay? There's a connection there. Jesus clearly tells us that there are two spheres of authority, right? There is God, and then there is government, 
But these two spheres are not completely separated, right? They are not mutually exclusive. They are connected. Now, Jesus right here does not tell us how, but Paul does. In Romans chapter 13, verse 1 through 7. Romans 13, 1 through 7. Paul says this. He says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there's no authority except from God... And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who's in authority? Then do what is good and you'll receive his approval. For he is God's servant for good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, listen to this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing, paid to all what is owed them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue, uh, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Did you see the connection in there? Man, it was everywhere. Any authority on earth that is any authority at all, is in authority because God has allowed it, not only allowed it, but he's established it. Jesus affirms this truth when he was interrogated by Pontius Pilate. Do you remember that? When he stood before Pontius Pilate, and Pilate basically says to him, he's questioning Jesus about who he claims to be, but Jesus decides to remain silent, to not answer his questions. And then Pilate says this in John 19, 10. He says, speaking to Jesus, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? And then Jesus responded to make sure that Pontius Pilate understood that his authority was not ultimate, that he was borrowing authority from God. John nineteen eleven. Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. You see, the state, the government, the country, the nation is God's servant. It's God's servant. Proverbs 21.1 says that the king's heart is like a stream of water in the hand of the Lord, and he turns it. God turns the king's heart wherever he will. There's a connection, right? Romans 13 literally says the government is God's ministers for civil authority on earth. The government is God's avenger, even it says here, carrying out God's wrath against the wrongdoer. And so I say to you this morning, church, to disobey the government is to disobey God. And to obey the government is to obey God. God. Therefore, this is important. Hear this. When you are rendering to Caesar what is Caesar, what is Caesar's, you are 
literally rendering to God at the same time, what is God's? Right? God has commanded us to render to Caesar what is Caesar's. And so when we give to the government, according to Scripture here, we are by proxy giving to God. That's why Paul finished up there in Romans 13, 7. Pay all that's owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. We do all this with the government because it's God who is behind it. And it's God that is connected to it. And it's God that is establishing them. And it is God who is sustaining them. So we've got to realize this. We've got to realize this, right? When you give what, government, what the government has told you to give, you are literally giving by proxy to God. That should change April 15th next year. I don't know if it will, but it, it should change April 15th next year in your heart anyway. Finally, if we're going to navigate this tension faithfully, we must give God pride of place when God and government diverge. Give God pride of place when God and government diverge. You see, God has called us to obey both God and government. And everything is fine when God and government are calling us in the same direction. But while God has established government to suppress wickedness, government itself can sometimes be very wicked. Amen? That's reality. That's a fallen world, right? One day when Jesus returns and he sets up government here on the new heaven and new earth, there will be no unrighteous rulers. But in this day and age, in this fallen age, we have imperfect men and women whom God has placed in authority. And so we can expect that wicked men and women, imperfect men and women, will lead imperfectly. They will produce wickedness within our governmental systems. Therefore, sometimes the government is going to say, go left. And God is going to say, go right. They diverge, right? Leading in opposite directions, making it impossible to follow both. So what are we supposed to do? And I say to you this morning, we must give God pride of place when God and government diverge. In other words, if we have to choose between following God and following government, we choose God every time. God must be our number one. To God, we must give our ultimate allegiance. I wonder this morning, have you ever had to make that choice? Have you ever had to make that choice when the government says go this way and God says go that way and you say, which one, whom will I follow? Peter and John had to make that decision. In Acts 4, they were arrested for preaching the gospel in Jerusalem after Jesus had been resurrected and after the Holy Spirit had fallen at Pentecost and the authorities got sick of hearing them. And so they arrested them and brought them before a trial, basically. And they commanded them, do not speak or teach in the name of Jesus at all. So they had a choice to make. Government was saying, don't preach Jesus. But God was saying, preach Jesus. 
And praise God, these brothers chose to give God pride of place. They responded in Acts 4, 19 through 20. They said this, they said, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. They basically declared to these rulers who held the authority over them on earth, they told these rulers, we must follow God. We have to choose God instead of you in this moment, right? And there are going to be times, church, when we must do that same thing. We are called to render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. But in that same breath, in that same breath, we are to render to God the things that are God's. And what we owe to God is our ultimate allegiance. Therefore, there will be times when we must respectfully, with much gravity, much gravity, disobey the government. Civil disobedience is an, it's a weighty thing. And we pray that it would be a rare thing. But it is a necessary thing when we must choose between God and government. God must always have pride of place in your heart and in my heart. Listen, I, I could go down a list and say, here's the government doing this. You've got to choose which one will you choose and all that. But Jesus didn't do that. He simply gave you the principle. And so I say to you this morning, I'm simply giving you the principle and the basic tools that you need to think and to navigate this tension for you and your family. But again, God must always have pride of place. I wonder this morning, to speak individually to each and every one of you this morning, does God have pride of place in your heart? In other words, is God number one in your life? Is God the ultimate king of your life? And if he's not, if you've never repented and trusted in Jesus as your Savior, you will never be able to follow the commandment that God told you here. He said to render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. But then he said, render to God the things that are God's. And what God has told you, commanded you even, to render to him, send his son to die that you could render to him. He has commanded you and me to render to him our hearts and our lives. And so I, I implore you this morning, I beg you this morning, give to God, render to God your heart. Repent of that sin and believe on Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Make Jesus king of your life. We're going to have a time of invitation here in just a moment. And if the Holy Spirit is saying, go, give to Jesus your heart, I pray today that you would not disobey God. Here's my final prayer for us this morning as we come to the end of this text. May God and government get all that they deserve from us.
Hi there, this is Pastor Ben. I have something really important to ask you, but first, I want to say thank you for taking the time to make this digital connection with us through our podcast. I hope the message you just listened to was a blessing, but an even greater blessing than this digital connection would be for you to connect with us in person this coming Sunday at one of Eastwood's two campuses where we get the joy of living life together in Jesus' name. And now for that really important question, which is the most important question you'll ever answer. Where do you stand before God? Now, based on what you've done, the straightforward answer is that you stand guilty and condemned before God. You are a sinner who completely deserves God's wrath forevermore in hell. And I deserve the same thing also. I mean, every person does. Guys, that's terrible news. And even worse is the fact that there's nothing you can do in and of yourself to change that. You need a Savior. But I have good news. God loved the world so much that He sent Jesus to be your Savior. Jesus came and lived the perfect life that you cannot live. And He stood condemned on the cross, dying the death you deserve. And three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead to prove to everybody that he is indeed the Savior of the world. And now Jesus longs to change your standing before God by making a trade with you. He desires to take what you've earned, which is the wrath of God in hell, and to give you in return what he has earned, which is the blessing of God in heaven. When this trade happens, instead of standing guilty and condemned before God, you will stand forgiven and righteous with the promise of everlasting life. So what must you do to have your standing before God changed? First, admit to God you are a sinner. Second, hate your sins. Turn from them and ask God to forgive you. And finally, turn to Jesus in faith and love, putting your complete hope in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and follow him until the day you die. Wherever you are listening to this podcast, Jesus is ready to make this trade with you. And I pray that you would trust in Jesus and be saved. Thank you again for connecting with us. And I hope to see you soon at Eastwood Baptist Church.